1: everybody and welcome to random trek review the podcast where we analyze discuss and review randomly selected star trek episodes my name is matt and i'll be joined by my good friend andrew who's been uh, up to some adolescent hijinks lately and i hope the scolding from the flashing green lights wasn't too harsh for you andrew uh, how are you doing
2: i'm doing pretty well yeah we are now firmly into 2021 so i hope everybody is off to a a good new year uh Matt have you kept your New Year's resolutions you know almost 1 month in or you know have you been getting a scolding yourself from the flashing green lights that uh, make sure that you're eating well and exercising every day and drinking water and all that
1: Oh they're all out the window all my <laughs> New Year's resolutions I I'm like most people they last a couple of weeks and then back to my old my old habits so uh yeah totally out the window
2: Yeah well I mean I guess such is the way. We are in Medieval Times, or at least kind of, I guess, here for this original series episode. Um, were you a big Medieval uh, Times fan when you were growing up? I think that's like, what, grade four or five where we live, is big Medieval Times uh, unit and everything?
1: I thought it was okay. It was kind of cool. They're very different than uh, what we deal with in, you know, modern times. Lots of sword fights and big shields and stuff so i I don't know i thought it was pretty neat
2: jousting were you kind of disappointed that this one wasn't maybe a little bit leaning more into that like they end up using the word squire which leads to us thinking it's going to be very medieval armor and kings and queens and stuff but it doesn't really end up being that
1: not much no basically you got one sword fight at the end and that was about it
2: Uh, Yeah, that kind of brings us back to the recall that you had for this episode. And I think that you kind of maybe started thinking that it was going to be a little bit more uh, in line with, you know, jousting and all that kind of stuff. You happened to kind of luck out with the whole dueling and and the sword fighting thing, which you did mention. And you gave some kind of classic Trekkian things that were going to happen. Um, I think that you also mentioned that Kirk was going to be kind of sequestered or, or... taken, captured, like that kind of line. And so um, I am going to give you a score out of two fantastical mirrors, let's say, or uh, secret power uh, giving mirrors. Two out of five, Matt. What do you think about that?
1: That's pretty good for having no clue whatsoever what the episode was and basing it strictly on the title because I had no idea. Confession.
2: Yeah, I can safely say that I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've seen this one. So uh, it's kind of cool to go in and see something with absolutely fresh eyes, uh, which I got to do this time, which was kind of cool.
1: This is exactly the second time I've seen this one, Um, because up until my epic Star Trek watching of every episode, I had never seen it yeah we'll be uh, reviewing the squire of gothos it is from the original series it is season one episode 17 it originally aired all the way back on january 12th 1967 it guest stars william campbell as trelane richard Carlyle as jaeger michael barrier as desal and Veneta wolf as Teresa. it was written by paul schneider and directed by don mcdougall And, just in case you didn't get a chance to see it, I'll give you a very quick synopsis here. The Enterprise encounters a mysterious planet that is not on any of their charts. When they change course to investigate, Kirk and Sulu mysteriously vanish. A landing party finds them in the house of Trelane, a rather aloof being in human form. He has been studying Earth and has recreated it here for the crew's amusement. Even though they want to leave, Trelane insists they stay and enjoy themselves. Once the crew is finally able to beam away and leave the planet, it keeps appearing in the Enterprise's path. Kirk decides to beam down himself to confront Trelane, and a sword fight ensues. Trelane traps Kirk in the entrance to his compound when two green, mysterious flashing lights scold Trelane for his adolescent hijinks. It turns out that Trelane is just an obnoxious child having some fun at the expense of the Enterprise crew, and his parents are very apologetic. Now, neither of us have interesting stories about the first time we watched this. I mean, as I mentioned, I uh, this is exactly the second time I've seen it. This is the first time you've seen it. So um, we'll dispense with any, uh, you know, fond memories, because there really aren't much, I don't think.
2: Yeah, the one thing that I read over and over and over again, uh, which I know that you read as well, was that this was originally supposed to be kind of like an anti-war story. And either I'm not kind of cluing in to what that necessarily means or maybe I'm kind of maybe looking at it the wrong way but um, I don't really get it I guess is it supposed to kind of be you know as children we play cowboys and Indians and we play war and we play fighting and stuff and there's maybe something bad about that like it maybe makes war seem not as brutal as it actually is and so we should maybe not do that or something like what was your take on that idea or was it just originally thought of as an anti-war story and this isn't anything like it
1: well my question was going to be like how do you get from an anti-war story to this because i don't really see how you can kind of make that how that evolution would work
2: yeah well that's what i mean I I, i don't necessarily see how that happened or or were they trying to kind of make some sort of deep connection between you know this guy is basically creating all these things and it's very similar to how politicians just play with people in war you know like you're moving troops and stuff and people are getting killed but you only see them as statistics and things you're not actually seeing them as people and and that's supposed to be connected or tied in like I was kind of confused by it
1: well when I hear anti-war story I think of something like they, they'll they'll tell us some sort of story that makes war seem bad and that they, that we shouldn't be waging war on... And I don't know how you get from that to some kid alien in a human form just playing pranks and running amok. I don't know, it just seems like a very odd place for this particular episode to start.
2: Right, and I think that we've always talked about how the original series, there tends to be a lot of stories and a lot of bits and pieces that you can gather from... Uh, you know tales and and from books and basically they've been around for so long that lots of people have said things and maybe this is kind of like a broken telephone kind of thing where it originally started out as an idea and it's just been kind of passed and mentioned and talked about so many times throughout the years that it's just completely different from what it originally thought it was and that kind of connection isn't even there
1: yeah who knows or maybe the person who like rewrote this just never said anything about it true it's kind of an odd it's an odd kind of progression though from an anti-war story to what we get
2: and also like this is an episode where there isn't a lot of stuff in terms of background which is surprising for original series uh did you kind of run into anything of interest or did you kind of run into a wall like i did
1: there wasn't much the only other thing i came across that was Kind of interesting was that uh, there was a bit of discrepancy about what the correct time period would be for this show. Because I guess in the earlier episodes, it wasn't really established like what year it was or even what century it was. And I guess when they were like kind of editing this episode, someone pointed out that like if he's been looking at the Earth of 900 years in the past and this is the period that we're in, it would have put it more like in the twenty. seventh or 28th century which is obviously much different than the 23rd century and i guess there was one previous episode that had established that it was like the 23rd century so i guess they to like fix that
2: so is this kind of like one of those you know space things where if you were to look at or if i guess if you were like on andromeda or you were in another solar system and you were looking at the light that's reaching there from the earth that you would see like the dinosaurs like at current time like it because light takes so long to go between places is that what they were kind of referring to
1: maybe i mean there was like there like there is a line in it where trelane says he's been studying earth like 900 years in the past and i guess someone was editing this and was like wait a minute that doesn't jive with what we already have and so i guess they had to like either fix the line or sort of rejig how he said it to make it make more sense with what they'd already established.
2: Yeah. You know what? Considering this is so early days on uh original series, I didn't really notice it. And to be honest with you, I don't really care. So I'm, I'm happy to just kind of let that one slide.
1: Well, I feel like in 1967, like this is so futuristic. It wouldn't, re- I don't think it would have made a difference whether it's the 23rd or 28th century
2: no probably not
1: no it would have seemed like outlandish regardless this episode starts with what i would describe as a very very casual sort of opening on the bridge i don't know if this was like you know eight o'clock in the morning when kirk and spock and the bridge crew all like just start their day like it's the very beginning of their shift because they're like They're sitting at their stations. They've all got a nice, like, cup of coffee. The yeoman's, like, passing around, like, snacks and stuff. I thought that was a very... I I noticed that immediately, and I thought that that was very, very interesting that they sort of had this... Very casual looking uh, opening on the bridge.
2: I can't remember another time where we actually see everybody sitting around and drinking coffee, which is is kind of bizarre. I feel like we've seen Janeway maybe drinking coffee on the bridge, Uh, but I had a really hard time actually thinking about people drinking and eating on the bridge, like almost as if it's one of those things that's a bit of a faux pas or it's slightly frowned upon. Uh, in my mind, and it may just be kind of like a Mandela effect kind of thing, I can envision Janeway with like that silver uh, traveler kind of mug on the bridge drinking coffee. But that might not actually be true. This this may be one of the few times where we actually see people eating and drinking on the bridge. What did you think of that?
1: I think maybe that's why it stuck out, because you don't see it. Like, I can't think of a time when Picard had his you know Earl Grey tea like it was always in the ready room and yeah I think maybe Janeway is the only one like like Cisco would have you know the coffee or whatever in his office or in the mess hall of The Defiant. maybe there's like a big giant sign on the door to like every bridge of every Starfleet ship that says like no food nope. or drink
2: <laughs> maybe yeah no shirt no shirt no shoes no commanding like that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause like Jane, I think you're right. Janeway is the only one that I can think of that maybe, and you're right. That might not even be true. It may just be that you, you know, because she's always obsessively drinking coffee everywhere else. You just think that she's doing it on the bridge, but I cannot think of another instance. I
2: can kind of envision, you know, Picard drinking tea and then being called to the bridge And as he walks onto the bridge, like somebody taking it from him or something, you know what I mean? Like one of those random ensigns to the side, like taking it and and taking it away. But again, it's one of those things where like, am I just constructing that in my mind or did that actually happen?
1: We need to get our, uh, our crack research team to, uh,
2: to look into it it. yeah or you know it's going to be one of those things where now every episode of star trek we watch for the next two three weeks we're going to notice that (laughs) people are drinking coffee like all the time this isn't even a big deal
1: exactly it's one of those things you don't notice until you notice it and then it's everywhere
2: exactly it's like when you're looking to buy a red car and then all of a sudden everybody's driving a red car and you see red cars everywhere it's just a matter of you being uh, attuned to it
1: well, or you buy a model of car thing like, oh, I never see those on the on the road, and then as soon as you, it's like in your head, you, you start see it everywhere. Spotting them everywhere. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> the one thing I will say, and this is a very bad habit that I happen to have, is that every time I turn on an original series episode, and like you said, this is very casual, very light. The characters are interacting. I almost always want to turn it off and put the movies on. Um, and I don't know if that's just because those are better uh, or if they just have more uh, fondness to me, but I always have that feeling like I want to see these characters, but in the movies. Do you ever feel that way?
1: I definitely feel more, like I've definitely seen the movies more and I do enjoy the movies more. So that's not something that I would, I don't necessarily think that, but I can understand why you might.
2: Yeah, well, just a feeling, and I feel like it sometimes. Yeah, if they were on Netflix or something, I'd probably watch the movies a lot more than I do. Uh, but that being said, I probably should watch some of these old original series episodes because they are interesting, and there there is good stuff in here. Uh, one thing I noticed straight away was after they kind of have their first little interaction. I don't know if you picked up on it, but um, Kirk mentions that that you should disc or you should uh, make contact with the Discovery. Did you pick that up, man?
1: No. I'd miss that completely.
2: When he turns to Uhura, it's very quick and it's very very subtle, but he says uh, contact the Discovery because I think they say that they don't have time to investigate the planet straight away. Um, And so I guess my question is, is this the USS Discovery that we know from the show is the discovery similar to the enterprise where there's like the discovery a and B and as they go missing, they end up popping up in the future. Or is this like us Star Trek fans just reading too much into it?
1: Well, that's interesting. I didn't notice that, but it could be, you know, the next discovery, you know, when the, the current one, you know, time warped off to the 30, Second century? Maybe they built a new one.
2: Yeah, this is definitely not the discovery from the show, because it's already gone at this point, right? Yes. And so if this is a discovery, it would have to be like the next one in the line, which is interesting because uh, the discovery that we know from the television show eventually becomes the discovery A. I wonder if this is the discovery A that they're looking at, because that tends to be the Star Trek way to do things, isn't it?
1: That's true, yes. So there could be two of them.
2: Exactly. Just in different uh different time periods, which is interesting, but
1: well, okay, so they they find this planet, and they were they mentioned i think in the captain's log that they're traveling through this section or region of space that has no planet,' just this big void, i guess
2: a la voyager
1: yeah, 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 and so they are very puzzled by the discovery of this planet that's not on any of their charts, and so they sort of head over to check it out and. Uh, kirk and sulu mysteriously vanish on the bridge um doesn't this happen a lot in the original series where people just disappear then they're like oh no we have to find them
2: uh yes and actually i'm just going to kind of double that up with the fact that the original series a lot of times you have people missing but you also a lot of times have these weird planets where there's like one house with one guy living in it, because uh, we've already seen this. Uh, Remember we had the Haunted House episode from Cat's cat's Paw? paw. And we also had the one where the guy was living with all of the uh, androids uh, from the original series as well. And that was kind of the same thing, where he was living in that place all by himself. I can't remember the episode... Uh, in my mind, but I feel like we've seen this. Uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Remember that one? Yep. Yep. Um, so that's kind of like the last three original series episodes that we've looked at are basically the same, aren't they?
1: They have very similar premises, yeah, with different, slightly different spins on them. And that is one that they do quite often in the original series. I'm sure there are plenty of other examples of that where someone disappears, they don't know where they've gone to, and they have to go find them.
2: Yeah, that was the thing that I guess hit me straight away was I was like, wait, didn't I already watch this one where the crew members go missing and they go to a mystery planet that they shouldn't be able to survive on, but they can, and then there's like a random house that looks very uh, Earth-like, and there's a random guy in there who's doing crazy zany things, but uh, nope, this is definitely another another one, and I kind of feel like maybe that's one of the reasons why the original series gets a bad reputation is because this is kind of samey, isn't it?
1: Very much so. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's based, you know, it's because they found a set that in the back lot that looks cool, so we'll ju- we'll just make an episode about it. So they find this dungeon-looking thing. Yeah. Oh, we'll make an episode about a dungeon on a planet. Right.
2: And I mean, yeah, exactly. And That's. I don't know. I, I guess the thing is, is that it really banks around the person that is running the little world or running the planet or living in the house. Uh, And in this particular one, we get this guy Trelawney. um, And so really the episode is going to be based on this guy, right? Like if he is good, the episode is good. If he is bad, the episode is bad, right?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. So he has this like sort of unorthodox away team because Kirk's already like vanished. So he can't beam down. So we get uh, McCoy, and then uh, Jaeger and DeSalle, who are just sort of... I don't want to say one-offs, because I think DeSalle appears in more than one episode, but this Jaeger guy, he was like a geologist, so they're like, oh, this planet has strange geology, so you better go to the to the planet. And uh, did you notice their like, little breathing things that they had? Those were kind of interesting.
2: They <laughs> reminded me a lot of Empire Strikes Back. Remember when the Millennium Falcon yes. is in the... And they go to check on the Minox outside... I was very much like that, actually. So, um, yeah, it was kind of cool to see those other characters because we're so used to, you know, the the main three. I did like that Spock was, like, specifically saying, like, nope, I need to stay on the bridge, and Scotty, you need to be here just in case we need to, like, blast away from here. Uh, We need the engines to be working well and everything. That was pretty cool. I did like that.
1: It was probably the most, like, rational away team choice that we'll ever see. (laughs) Usually Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, like, three of the four most important people on the ship.
2: <laughs> and you know what? Those guys were fine. Like I, it is kind of nice to see people other than the main guys. And this is a nice way to get Kirk onto the planet without having him like volunteer for the job, which I thought was kind of a cool little thing.
1: Yeah. It was uh it was sort of a different, different start to what we're used to where it's just like, okay, Spock, McCoy, let's go beam down.
2: Yeah. Now what were your thoughts on, uh, <laughs> the the frozen Kirk and Sulu like in that green freeze
1: oh the green the green special effect that looked like a special effect yeah from the sixties <laughs> uh, you know what that it's a product of the times I guess it looks cheesy to us but I bet in 1967 it looked pretty wild
2: yeah I think that the thing about this particular episode and I have always praised the original series. For the music, I've always said, if you go back and listen, I've always really enjoyed the way that the music was done on the original series. But like in this particular episode, that annoying, is that a piano, I guess, that he's playing or...
1: I think it's a harpsichord.
2: Harpsichord, right. But uh, this music that this guy is playing is so annoying and i'm not sure if it's intended to be annoying or if it's supposed to make us hate this guy or get under our skin but man the music in this episode is annoying and it never stops
1: i think it was supposed to be like period specific
2: okay well that i can kind of deal with but man there's a lot of it as well
1: well yeah he's constantly sitting at that piano thing just hammering out that really annoying yeah it, it's not fun music to listen to over no. and over and over again
2: and if you listen the actual episode music kind of has a similar feel to it uh or like kind of a similar like, twanginess i'm not very musical in the inclined so i'm you probably could uh, you know say it better than me but like i actually felt like the all of the episode music had a similar feel and that made it kind of annoying
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was the the music was all very much in a similar kind of style. And I think it was intended to be period specific because Trillane has got all these like trinkets and stuff from, I don't know, I want to say like 16th, 17th century Earth.
2: Well, yeah, he's got all these trinkets from like the Paramount backlot for some reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah.
2: But yeah, he has this fascination with Earth and it's kind of like does this guy just exist here and then whoever passes by he creates the world to make it seem like their stuff and then but see that was that that was the cat's paw though remember they were like those little bugs
1: the little bird looking things
2: yeah and it made them made the whole world seem like uh earth-like stuff like isn't this the same exact thing again
1: the thing that I kind of struggled with was with this fascination he had with earth is like of all the planets and all the galaxies, like he decides, Oh, this, this earth has got a really cool history. I'm going to like be, you know, I'm going to immerse myself in this earth's history. I'm going to recreate pieces of it right here on this planet that I have. Cause he apparently has the power to create planets and so on. And I like, I had a hard time with that unless he somehow knew they were coming and he was like, Oh, I'm going to lure them to my planet and try to keep them here with all these like earth trinkets.
2: Right. Um, That I kind of like a little bit more because I never have been a big fan of earth is the greatest thing in the galaxy and everybody loves earth and, you know, everybody wants to be like earth and earth is so, uh, so great that we're all going to aspire to, to be like earth from different time periods and stuff. That's a very original series thing. And I think that it's, it's kind of of the time. Cause I believe at that period, like sixties now I'm talking, uh, I think that they actually did feel like earth was like the only planet in the universe. Uh, and so I think that they had a bit of a superiority kind of complex. Uh, whereas now I think it's kind of shifting and it's more interesting maybe to look at other places, not just you know earth 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 and past earth and future earth and you know earth galore
1: well and you also have to think it's the easiest planet for them to recreate on a set so and i mean the the original series i think is kind of famous for being made on a pretty shoestring budget
2: yeah i mean but that being said this this one doesn't grab me like some of the other ones did um The one interesting kind of piece is that they did mention that he's, like, using programmable matter or, like, he's rearranging the matter. Like, the food doesn't taste like what it's supposed to be and, like, there's nothing is showing up on the sensors. So, like, is this supposed to be... Like, is this way ahead of its time? Because I feel like in Season 3 of Discovery, they had the whole, like, programmable matter stuff. Is this supposed to be the same thing?
1: Well, I think it's more of, like, a replicator. Because he he mentioned that he was creating all this stuff by just rearranging the matter. Um, which I think is exactly how the replicator in, like, Next Generation era is supposed to work.
2: Or you mean the hollow sweets you mean?
1: No, I mean the replicators. Because, like, the replicators, like, when the ones that make the food and stuff. All it's, it's like, it's taking just a raw generic material and basically rearranging the molecules and stuff to make you believe that it's whatever it is you're eating. Right. And that seemed, it sounded like it was pretty much the same thing to me. But on a huge scale. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He was using it to create like houses and suits of armor and and, and pianos. Harpsichords. Harpsichords, yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing.
2: But this is not the same as, like, the Discovery programmable matter stuff.
1: I still don't know what programmable matter means. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, well, neither do I. I was hoping you were going to tell me.
1: I have no idea. It's, I don't know what programmable matter means or what it does. It's just, like, something that makes your consoles attached to your fingertips.
2: Right. And it looks and sounds really cool. <laughs>
1: Alright, so Trelane is, like, very... He really wants everyone to stick around and enjoy themselves. Like, he's putting on, like, some show for them. And he's like, come on, stay here and enjoy yourself. I've got all this cool, like, Earth stuff that you guys should like. But then, you know, Spock sort of uh, devises some way to beam them up. Uh, But then Trelane just, like, immediately brings them back again. What, What did you make of this... Obsessiveness that trelane had of like the the crew having fun at his little earth house
2: so for me, this was where I started to clue in that he was like childish in nature. um I know that both you and I have young nieces and nephews, and you can probably attest as well as I can that when you go to play with a four five six seven year old this is exactly what it's like, right? They want to play with the toy that you're happy to be playing with. And then when you give it to them, they're not interested in it anymore. And then they want to change all the rules, right? Like if you try to play board games or if you're trying to do something, they change the rules and their they're, they're kind of attention wanes, right? Uh, but one of the things that always tends to happen is that like as an adult, especially if it's not your kids, you'll just be like, okay, well, I'm not playing anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. I want you to play. Like, that is definitely a true statement would you agree
1: oh yes most definitely yeah they don't the worst thing that can happen if you're a you know young child is for the grown up to be like all right i'm leaving
2: right i'm going to walk away <laughs> and didn't you get that sense when he keeps bringing them back and then his kind of whole attitude kind of changed like all of a sudden he was trying to win them over almost
1: i think i did kind of get a vibe that he was like starved for attention which kind of made sense when you think of like he's on this planet and he's all by himself i don't know if i really clued in though at that point if it was supposed to be like a child
2: i started getting child vibes here the only thing that was kind of weird about it was that like he he had kind of like a an obsession or at least an interest in like the female crew members. And he keeps mentioning how like, ooh, I bet you've got a lot of good looking ladies up on the ship, um, which was kind of that doesn't really jive with the whole child thing. Like I wouldn't think that a child would really be that interested in, in the females of the USS Enterprise. Uh, but other than that, I started getting those vibes now. And then the annoyingness started to kind of... I was like, yeah, this is like child, childlike annoyance, which like I said, whenever I play with my nephews and nieces, sometimes I get this exact feeling. So, um, I guess that part of it was pretty good.
1: Yeah, it was, I I mean, I guess when you explain it that way, yeah, it would, you you would be able to kind of see at that point that maybe he was a, a child or like an adolescent that was kind of starved for attention. Um, now he wasn't able to like accurately reproduce the taste in the food or the wine. Did that sort of make you think of anything like I, I don't know I I thought that was kind of an odd thing
2: yeah so one of the things that I think is a little bit poorly done and is a little jumbled is that they get beamed up he beams them back he gets Spock down there so now we have kind of different people down in the house that weren't originally there. Um, and then there's this kind of small thing with the food and the wine. And again, like, I don't want to really harp back to old RTR episodes, but you should definitely go back and listen to them. Uh, but this is kind of similar <laughs> to the Methuselah episode. Cause remember he, they, he had all the weird paintings, from like uh from long ago but they were like originals somehow so i think that the writers in the original series they like this idea something where there's a little mystery involved or like a little thing for us to kind of scratch our head about because he's able to do the forms but he can't do the taste so i think that this is supposed to i guess you know scratch our interest and have us be kind of like oh what's going on here to me it's getting a little bit like let's go let's do something different let's move on here to me i guess it's also kind of like you'd have to get into the whole science of it like if you can perfectly replicate the look of something wouldn't the taste also just be part of it i don't know
1: yeah it definitely seemed like they wanted to sort of throw a little bit of mystery in here and make you wonder like okay why is this wine look and you know flow like real wine but it doesn't taste like real wine like i I don't really i didn't really get what that was all about other than just sort of throwing out a, something to make you think that something weird is going on.
2: Right. But we already think something weird is going on. So that's the other part that I, I guess it goes along with it. Um, now, one of the things that uh, is, a, is the biggest stretch is just the idea that they put together that his power comes from this random mirror way too quickly. They're like, he seems to have all these powers. Hmm, he's always standing near the window. Well, the win- the mirror must have the power then. Like, didn't you think that that was a bit of a... Like, I know I'm all about logic and and kind of deducing what's happening, but man, that was pretty quick.
1: Hey, it's Spock, man. He's the master of logic.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit too much so in this one.
1: Yeah, so so Kirk ends up like somehow challenging him to a duel like with pistols which i thought was hilarious because he busts out this like box and he opens it up and there's these two like super old school pistols and they have a duel and instead of shooting at trelane kirk like you know blows up the mirror uh did you notice the hilarious sound effects that ensued from that mirror being shot because some of these it was like the like boink and like it was just some of them were just so funny
2: it was classic 60s camp 100 percent.
1: yes that's correct that's the correct way to describe it it was like it was like all of those sounds some of them had nothing to do with anything they just threw them in there
2: right and i also kind of feel like people who are watching this that aren't big star trek fans this is the stuff that they probably hate where it's like you know Kirk just gets really worked up and then he he's like oh, I'll challenge you to a duel and then he, he they pull out the pistols and he shoots the mirror and it's like zoom and then it's like oh no all my powers like this is this is the cheesiness that the TV show has that I think does isn't for everybody
1: yeah but then it doesn't even really get rid of his powers because they all beam back up to the ship and they try to fly away and this planet keeps appearing in front of them like no matter which direction they fly they like veer away from it, and then, like two seconds later, they're like, "Oh, the planet's like dead ahead again. Oh, veered to starboard this time." So like did blowing up the mirror really do anything?
2: was yeah, like, did he make the mirror so that they could they would hold them there, but then, like once it was destroyed, they could leave, but he saw the power to move I don't know, I, I don't know that we're supposed to be thinking this much. I think we're supposed to just be like, "Wow, we're in space, and we're doing stuff."
1: Yeah, yeah well yeah exactly like it was it didn't really make a whole lot of sense in a practical sense because like if they'd blown up the mirror and that was supposed to be all his powers were gone like how did he keep moving the planet to go directly in their path i don't know it was very it was kind of an odd thing
2: and i think that this to me like i watched this one really late actually so i kind of waited for everybody to go to bed and then i like you know, put this on maybe like 1230, uh, you know, just kind of sitting up late by myself watching this kind of like I would have watched this when I was, uh, you know, in high school kind of thing. And I find this kind of stuff really hard to follow, especially when you're kind of like a little bit tired, you know, you're a little cranky or you're just kind of like watching it for some enjoyment. It's like, oh, they're back on the ship and they're down there and Spock's down there and now Spock's back up here. And this is it's 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 kind of hard to follow. And I also always feel like the original series episodes, because they're like fifty, fifty-five minutes, like they always are like a little dragging. Uh or at least the these kind of episodes are. Um and so it's just like, oh God, like what are we trying to get at? Where are we going? Like it, it's not it's not streamlined enough. Is that how you feel or do you like just love anything that has to do with the original series?
1: I checked the clock at least twice to see how much longer was left
2: <laughs> okay well i glad we're in the same boat
1: yeah so i like i think it was at about uh halfway through and then uh, with like 15 minutes left i was like check clicking on the button to check how much longer was left, and i was like oh my god like 15 more minutes of this like what the hell are they like what's still to come you know like what is left to, to happen like there's 15 minutes left like ooh.
2: I mean, I guess the big saving grace for you, which I'm sure you probably did like a little fist pump was, was that in the next (laughs) 15 minutes, we get the big sword fight. You know, the duels aren't going to cut it, and so we're going to have a a sword fight, um, kind of like in this prison, jail, dungeon. Like, I I don't really know what this is, but they're going to have this trial, and they're going to have a sword fight, and... um, Yeah, like there's kind of – this reminded me a little bit of – remember the in the movies when they had the the trial at the Klingon uh, moon? And there's like that little half circle thing for the person that is um, dealing with it. There's also like that Lower Decks episode where they're in the little half circle uh, on trial. Uh, That's what this reminded me of. Uh, When the sword fight came up, I had a smile because I thought, oh, uh, Matt got that little piece. But for me, this doesn't (laughs) – I don't know. This just doesn't really do a lot for me, sadly. I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm looking at my watch and I'm wondering how much longer until this is over.
1: Yeah, I mean, the sword fight itself was okay, I guess. Like, they're sort of running around this, like, kind of jungle environment or, or forested environment and swinging swords at each other and you know trelane falls down and then he like you know sweeps kirk's legs out and runs away kirk chases after him blah 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 i mean it was i mean it was a decent enough sword fight and then at the end i think kirk ended up getting like trapped in the entrance of the dungeon and then the big shock at the end these weird green lights appear like these green flashing lights and they're like trelane you're being bad what are you doing and and I think they were meant to be his parents but it was kind of it was kind of hard to make that connection because you have this Trelaine guy and then you have these green flashing lights there's a little bit of a zany ending
2: yeah i kind of feel like with these original series episodes and maybe i will in the future i think i almost need to like watch half of it and then go and make dinner and have a sleep and have a shower and then come back and watch the second half because a lot of times at the end it wraps up so quickly And so crazily that like, so this guy's parents are these green balls of energy, which I'm assuming he's a green ball of energy as well. And that he is just taking the form of this human person.
1: That's my guess.
2: Yeah. And so they kind of give him like the, the rasp on the knuckles and they say like, Oh, sorry, Kirk, you know, he won't do it again. And they go back to the ship and Kirk kind of says to the yeoman who has, been kind of like dragged through this episode like oh i guess you could go put your regular clothes back on and it's like ha 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 off we go uh quite bizarre
1: yeah the yeoman like uh, when she went down to the planet trelane like gave her this like you know elaborate dress or outfit and when i guess when he, he sent them back to the ship she was still wearing it strangely enough even though the rest of them were back in their regular uniforms uh, i don't know it's kind of odd
2: and I guess she's the one that was giving out the coffee at the beginning as well. Like they, they established her ahead of time. She's Yeoman Ross. Uh, I don't know if she's in any other episodes. I don't think that she is, but, um, yeah. And that's it. That's a wrap on the, the squire of, of Gothos. I guess Gothos was the name of the planet. We never mentioned that, but.
1: Oh yeah. I think that is right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of an odd one and the ending was kind of completely out of nowhere.
2: And again, it's it's almost inexcusable with the amount of time that they spent going up and down, up and down, and just around in circles. They could have probably come up with something a little bit more, like a little bit better than this. But I mean, I guess this is what we got. And you and I are watching it like 30 years later. <laughs> more than 30 years, like 50 years later.
1: 50 years later, yeah. All right, uh, I... Trelane kind of reminded me almost of like a Q. Do you, do, I was starting to wonder if like, maybe this is kind of what they based Q on. Uh, did you get any kind of like Q like vibes? And the reason I say that is partly because of the trial. That was also very reminiscent of, you know, Encounter at Farpoint and just his ability to, to conjure all of this stuff. Seemingly at will. Yeah.
2: The only thing I would say is that there's this kind of weird underlay where he keeps saying stuff like, I was going to win. Like, you stopped me. I was finally going to to t- t- be the winner and all this kind of stuff. W- what? Like, what were you trying to win? What was the competition? I kind again, this is maybe like childlike where you're he keeps changing the purpose of the game, uh, keep changing the rules, but uh yeah, he's almost like a kid cue and not the one from Voyager, like a younger kid cue.
1: That would yeah, that would kinda of make sense. So maybe those like green lights are like members of the continuum.
2: maybe like the other thing is is that it's kinda of left very ambiguous, right? They kind of just it just kinda of ends, so who knows, maybe they were Qs and this is uh, just another one in the line of uh of them. I I mean the Qs I've never seen use one of those uh mirrors I guess, but other than that they could be Qs.
1: Yeah, it was it was just something that kind of popped in my head as the episode was rolling along that, it, that he seemed to have some sort of Q like some Q like powers, but uh yeah, I guess I guess that's true. They didn't Qs don't have a special mirror where they get all their powers from. Uh DeSalle and Jaeger are sort of grouped together because they you know, they had a role to play in the show, but they were they were sort of just kinda of generic one-offs. Is there anything about DeSalle or Jaeger that uh, you think is worth discussing?
2: No. The only thing I would say is just like I thought that it was kinda of nice to see the crew be slightly different that goes on the away mission. I don't necessarily need to see the same three people doing it every time. So it was kind of nice to see not only the fact that they got sent down, but it wasn't like they did the classic, like they got killed straight away. Uh, they ended up having some lines and some things that they did on the planet.
1: Yeah, DeSalle was kind of like the muscle, I guess, because like there was that one part where he was like trying to sneak up on him to stun him or whatever, and it didn't work. And then Jaeger was just sort of like the geologist and maybe kind of the voice of reason, I guess.
2: Yeah, no, they, there was nothing wrong with them. The last character, which I, I kind of had a question for you. So the last one is Yeoman Ross, who they... That's the, the girl, Teresa Ross. Uh, she basically is, like, just serving up the coffee. Then she gets brought down, and they put her in the gown to dance, which Kirk really was upset about. He was probably jealous. He was, he, there's a lot of things you can do. <laughs> yeah, but you can't dance with uh, his crew people. Uh, I thought she was pretty good. Did you think it was a little strange that they didn't just use, like... Um, Uh, is it yeoman rand i think we've seen her in a bunch of episodes miri and stuff um should they just have used that character it's basically the same exact part it's like a blonde lower ranking character like or do you kind of think it's nice to see that there are different ones that that work on the ship
1: well i think it probably still works if you use yeoman rand um like you said i mean there's really they're really just the same kind of character so i don't think it really would have made a huge difference either way
2: okay yeah it's just it's one of those things right like uh you know this particular actress gets uh work and it was probably one of the most famous things that she ever did right be in star trek so uh, i guess that's a good thing
1: yeah generally that's what they're best known for as we've talked about previously uh some interesting production notes uh that i thought we could just chat briefly about uh so William Campbell was the actor who played Trelane, and apparently during the sword fight, uh, he, like, popped his shoulder out at some point, and then as he, like, sort of flung it in the air, like, in a, out of pain, it, like, popped back in.
2: Ugh, I don't think, <laughs> I do not like stories like that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, sometimes these things can be... Uh, you know hazardous to your body
2: yeah i guess that's the downside of doing your own stunts right
1: exactly yes uh now i don't know if you're familiar enough with the original series to have caught this but one of the like in one of the this like alcove thing in trelanes there's this weird creature with like the the round mouth oh yeah that which is from uh did you did you notice that sort of weird-looking creature in one of his little alcove things in his in his drawing room?
2: I did notice it and the only reason why I happened to notice it is that it's from the man trap which I believe is the first episode of Star Trek not including the the Pike cage episode would that be correct or
1: It's very I think it might so there was there were two pilots right? There was right, the, the cage. cage and then there's where uh wasn't in it where no man has gone before it was like the second pilot
2: right but i think this is actually i think the man trap was the first like true episode because i've I've seen that face before
1: yeah the man trap I, I think the man trap actually was the first one that aired oh, okay um, i think they like aired the first couple out of order for some reason but yeah the man trap it's either the first or it's like one of the first and yeah that m that creature it was like it was from a planet called m113 i think and so that's sort of how it's known as like it's just the m113 creature so it was in yeah so that's what that creature was from and so that was kind of interesting that they reused that just because All they right, had it yeah. laying around and i guess wanted to get some more use out of it
2: i mean i guess the other thing that Uh, we should just kind of talk about quickly here, talk about reusing stuff. And you know that I love me some Gilligan's Island. We talked about Gilligan's Island Mm. back with Cat's Paw. And in this one, Trelane's coat was rented. It was also seen in uh, an episode of Gilligan's Island as well as the monkeys. So um, that's, uh, yeah, this is totally being filmed at the same time. You can just tell that they're going back and they're using the same sets and the same outfits, I'm assuming.
1: Well, yeah, and it was all, like, these shows are all being made, like, in the same, like, neighborhood or district, right? So, it's it makes sense that things would, you know, things like that. Like, that coat was pretty elaborate. Like, that's not something that you're going to put together in wardrobe and use one time. Um, So, yeah, it makes sense that it would sort of make its way around different different shows. Uh, All right. Did you get up with with any other production stuff? Yeah, just a couple of... uh, just one quite casting thing. So I guess Gene Kuhn, who is one of the producers of the original show, he actually pushed for Campbell to be cast as Trelane because he just thought that the actor, uh, his, the acting, the actor's abilities and, and his sort of his way of speaking would be ideal for it. Um, but I guess they like insisted on doing auditions and stuff anyway. And uh, he ended up being hired after like one paragraph. Like he read one paragraph of the the audition and they're like okay you're done you're hired send him to wardrobe to get fitted
2: yeah that's uh that's high praise it is
1: yeah yeah and i guess it turns out that gene coon knows what he was talking about i guess so um and then the one last thing we already kind of mentioned those breather things when they first beamed down i guess in the naked time they had these like orange spacesuits that they could have worn but uh Robert Justman, who was like the, the uh, I forget what his official title was, but he was sort of responsible for like kind of the look of things. He uh, he didn't want to use those spacesuits because he thought they would look too goofy. <laughs> yeah, well, he's probably not wrong there. I think the the exact quote that I read was he he said that he expected that the audience would be laughing for the next thirty minutes at the sight of those suits. So they went with the breathers, the the, the Empire Strikes Back breathers instead.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess we should really call the Empire Strikes Back the Squire of Gothos breathers, because they came out later.
1: That's true. <laughs> That's true. Maybe they borrowed... Maybe maybe those were rented, too. Maybe, yeah. All right. Uh, any memorable scenes or uh, favorite lines that, you, that stuck out to you in this episode?
2: Uh, no, not really. My favorite line is a McCoy line, kind of putting the dig on Spock. Uh, he says, I can't imagine a mirage ever disturbing those mathematically perfect brainwaves of yours. It's not great, but I mean to be honest with you, there weren't a really a lot of episode, or a lot of quotes in this particular episode that I thought was that memorable or amazing, so yeah, that's what it is. What about you?
1: There's nothing really that stuck out to me either. I mean, I didn't write I didn't write any lines down, which is a little bit strange. There's usually something that piques my interest or that makes me chuckle, but I didn't really see anything in this one um memorable scenes i mean i don't know kirk shooting the mirror okay yeah that's a good (laughs) one that's about all i can think of i thought it was pretty clever that he was like you know challenges him to a a gun duel and then blows up the mirror
2: yeah and i mean it was a good thing he did too because that trelawney guy he never misses
1: that's right that's right (laughs) if he hadn't shot the mirror he would have been
2: killed for sure bullet
1: bullet between the eyes Alright, uh, Sum it up, uh, give me your final thoughts and then give me a rating for this episode out of five flashing green lights.
2: Uh, yeah, this was very original series ish for me. Um, I don't really have much to say, actually. I, I find it to be okay. Um, it's kind of fun to go back and watch these, especially since I hadn't seen this one before or if I had, it had been completely forgotten. Um, it is... It's okay. I'll give it two out of five glowing green balls of parents. Um, But I mean, it's getting dangerously close to one. There was nothing that was like overtly offensive or anything that like really upset me. Sometimes like with discovery and Picard, like they do stuff that like actively upsets me. Whereas this is just kind of harmless television i guess um i don't think that i would watch it necessarily if it wasn't for the show and i wouldn't necessarily recommend that somebody goes and watches this there's so many other <laughs> episodes that are way way better but hey if you've never seen it like me it's worth seeing what about you
1: uh, this one i had a bit of a tough time getting through like i mentioned i i checked the timer twice to see how much longer there was that's usually not the sign of a good episode uh it was it was a bit tough to get through because i feel like they kind of dragged the, the the start of it out uh a bit more than they could have and the ending was just so not really satisfying to me because it's like oh this chelaine's doing all these like crazy things and conjuring up all these things and then all of a sudden you find out he's just some attention-starved adolescent that's causing shenanigans, and then he gets a stern talking to from his parents and, and whatnot. So, yeah, this one was kind of tricky to me. There wasn't really a lot that stuck out. It was it was just kind of a, oh, here's a planet in the middle of nowhere with a lone person pretending to be human. You know, It just seemed kind of like a very typical original series to me. And uh I am also gonna give it two flashing green lights out of five. It was uh it was a tough one. Alright, Andrew, I think I hear the red alert siren, which means it is uh time for us to reach into the uh Squire's hat of episodes and draw out a new one for our next podcast. You got any hopes and dreams or give me give me something
2: animated matt i feel like i want like a little you know one month into the two th- into 2021 breather i want like a little 20 minute uh animated episode that we can just rip off nice and quick
1: all right you're not going to get any uh animated uh unfortunately not this time uh you're you're going to be uh taking us back to the next generation okay And it'll be an early Next Generation episode. It's from Season 1. It's Episode 16. And the title is Too Short a Season. Too Short a Season. And while Andrew gathers his thoughts uh, about what Too Short a Season could be, be sure to check us out on uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, check out... Some of the other podcasts on Sweet Media, where we uh, currently reside. There's lots of good stuff there.
2: Okay, I th- think I've got something, but I'm not really sure.
1: All right, Andrew looks like he's ready. I'll put one minute on the clock, and your time begins now.
2: All right, this is early days of next generation, so I don't have high hopes for it. I believe this is an episode where they come across a planet where they're doing not necessarily like a first contact, but it's kind of an early relationship that they have with it. Uh, They send everybody down and Tasha Yar has kind of like some entanglements with the people that are working there or living there. And so the episode kind of evolves around Picard and Riker and some of the other main crew members trying to get her out of the situation. She didn't do anything necessarily bad but it was bad from their perspective and so it eventually ends with Picard doing a big speech and essentially having them kind of go against their own laws and their own kind of ideas uh, so that they'll release Tasha Yar Uh, it'll be kind of cheesy outfits and cheesy dialogue and I think that we're probably not going to love it but that's what we're gonna get
1: and your time is up Well, that sounds like an interesting episode. I am not quite sure, you know, the the first couple seasons of Next Generation are kind of hit or miss, and so I haven't really gone through them that much, so I don't know if I remember what this one is.
2: I know there is an episode where that happens, but I don't know that it's necessarily this one. I guess we will have to wait a couple of weeks and find
1: out. That's right. We will be back in two weeks' time to uh, talk about Too Short a Season. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, everyone, and uh, I hope you will return with us in two weeks' time. Bye-bye, everybody. So long, folks.
0: This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs.
2: Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, because of The Expanse. Like, if, mm-hmm. you were, if you were trying to portray a, a species like that in Star Trek, you were like, oh, they're just doing the Belters from The Expanse.
0: Yes, well, and actually, they did it better in The Expanse than they did in Star Trek. Because they actually
2: hired really, really lanky tall people to play them.
0: Mm-hmm. They can't do practically what the belters would really look like according to the books but they Hmm. did as close as they possibly could and it still works for me and it's a much more interesting origin and story and they just did everything better
2: loading holosuite preview program for the expanse an enterprise podcast We've talked previously about gratuitous. Yeah. You know, just showing off Julian Bledock's bits and pieces, really, for no reason. That is one of them, isn't it?
0: Mm
2: hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a male, so that stuff is, at least at this time, was mostly targeted at me. Mm hmm. And I'm not going to say that she has not got a incredible physique because she she does. Obviously, she does. But yeah. whenever I see those moments now, I just think, God, oh, so unnecessary. And I feel bad for Jolene. You know, like, did she get a choice? Did she mind? If she didn't mind, then I guess who cares? But that was really revealing, that shot through the sheet. It just seemed unnecessary. You didn't need that. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast.
0: It is harder. And that's, unfortunately, what life is like. There's sometimes no good answer. Thank you for going into that so early because that was my biggest, besides Ren, that was my biggest, like, I need some help processing Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) Well, she says exactly why she's doing it while she's doing it. And it makes sense because the only spore drive is on Discovery. The only person who can run the spore drive is Stamets. You separate those two things and no spore drive (laughs) worky. No spore drive worky.